Hey there. Welcome back to King of the Ride podcast. Ted King here recording this intro while we are eyes deep into a New England cold snap. It's, uh, it's about negative two degrees with a rumored wind chill somewhere around negative 30 today. So amid these past few months here this winter, and especially on days like today, I have picked up running. Now, admittedly, negative uh, 30 is beyond brisk, but I love the efficiency of running and, and how much you can do in really heinous conditions because it is done and over so quickly, which I bring up for two reasons. One, I might even enter some kind of running race this year, stand by on that. And two, welcome to the show, our guest, endurance running legend, Hillary Allen. Legend in her own time, in fact, given her story. The quick synopsis, while leading the Skyrunning series in 2017, which she'd already clinched the overall victory, she fell 150 feet off a Norwegian cliff and frankly nearly died. That story has been told many times over. In fact, if you want to read her book, Out and Back, I highly encourage it. I just recently purchased it myself. That accident has been documented, and I'm so fascinated and curious and excited about this conversation by exploring Hillary's determination, her grit, her vulnerabilities, her drive, and how she held it together over that multi-year recovery period. Hillary is a cyclist. Of course, that is the common thread here on King of the Ride podcast, the fact that someone rides a bike. I love how her first ever bike race is a little thing called Unbound 200. That's, that's a pretty telling anecdote. Hillary's been on my radar as a guest since the very early days of hosting this podcast. She rode two editions of Rooted Vermont, speaking of cycling. She's eaten dinner at my house, for goodness sake. So if it weren't for crammed schedules, this would have been hand-delivered to you a long time ago. Let's call this conversation a long, long time in the making. Now, friends, if you've listened to this podcast lately, you know that I've started my day every day for seemingly the past year or more with a serving of AG1 by Athletic Greens. I use it every single day because it has simplified my life in terms of supplements and vitamins. It gives me the reassurance that I'm getting the necessary vitamins, minerals, and all sorts of other nutritional needs from a whole food source. It has adaptogens, probiotics, and micronutrients that I rely on every day. Plus, to be honest, it tastes great. I look forward to it every day. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, and Athletic Greens is going to help. They're going to give you one free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, plus five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash tedking. Again, athleticgreens.com slash tedking. Take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Thank you for sticking around this long into the intro. Without further ado, please welcome Hillary Allen. All righty. Hillary Allen, uh, thank you very much for taking the time. Um, let's... Let's start things off by looking out the window. Give me, give me a scene-setting moment. Um, where are you? What's the weather doing? What's, what's up out your door? Yeah, so I am sitting in North Boulder in Colorado. Um, we're kind of coming out of, uh, I would say, 
a pretty cold snap. Um, yesterday when I was running, it was snow covered on the ground. Um, minus minus eight degrees in the morning. Um, this morning was like a balmy 20 degrees and sunny when I started running. So it felt like, uh, yeah, like a different, a different, um, climate, but, uh, I don't know. I, I do love the winter when I love it in Colorado, when we get like the world is just covered in white and then we still get the sun. It just, I feel like I get to run in a snow globe. So that's, that's what that's what it is. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, negative eight to twenty is a nearly thirty degree Fahrenheit fluctuation, right? Which is enormous. Like <laughs> negative eight is frigid, twenty degrees oh, positive yeah. is still quite cold. But then you think like the difference between thirty and sixty—that's a thirty degree difference—and that's night and day. So yeah, like you said, it's totally yeah. different climates. Um, I know it was insane, it, but just like, it just gets it's so dry here. So it's like, it's probably a different cold than in Vermont. Like I don't even want to experience what negative eight and humidity is. Actually I did. I went to school in Iowa and it was not fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's still, it just like takes your breath away. Cause it's just such a dry cold. There's like literally no water in the air at all. Sure. Yeah. The, <laughs> what, what you had yesterday apparently has made its way here. Cause it was negative three this morning. Uh, I've not gone outside today, but our gym, oh man, I, I was thinking of a tweet that has not gone out, but we don't heat <laughs> our gym, which is great because when you're riding a trainer and still just pouring sweat, yeah. my water bottle in the gym was icy. Oh my gosh. I'm like, wow, yesterday when sub I, 32 like when, in our house. Oh this God. is crazy. It's so bad. When I finished running yesterday, I had a jacket on, like, yeah. and I was like a vest underneath. And I unzipped my jacket, and there was literally ice that had formed from my own body heat. Yeah. And then it it was cold enough that it refroze. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we talked we talked a tiny bit off air before about a bike packing trip, and that's gnarly. Like when you create that ice yeah. vest, like mm-hmm. on multi day trips, that's danger. Uh, but yeah, you oh. go out. And it's, it's kind of hilarious when you're out for an hour or two, whatever. You're like, oh, look, oh nice God, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, now, here's a, here's a broad-reaching, overarching question. In a world, the world in which we live is full of hypotheticals. I'm curious how you feel about going down the path of hypothetical situations. I mean, sure. For conversations. Okay. So, for the sake of our listeners... Um, if they have heard your story, they probably know it well or or peripherally well. And if they haven't, it's one of the most fascinating stories in endurance sports. <laughs> um, and not wanting to go long-winded into it, because I know you speak about it frequently, I'm curious if you can help explain what happened in 2017 in Norway. Well, yeah. So, um, and to be clear... We're not, we're not going to speak hypothetically. This is a true story. Well, right. And this is a multifaceted series of questions. <laughs> and so I will deliver right. the hypothetical at one point. Later. But, okay. So let's set yeah. the stage. So, yeah. And I mean, thank you, I, I guess, for you to say that it's one of the most uh, interesting stories in endurance sports. That's... Uh, that puts it lightly, I, I, quite frankly. That's, that's, I mean, that's a compliment. I mean, thank goodness I survived. But basically, so I'm, I'm a trail runner now. I'm a multi-sport athlete, but I'm a trail runner and I got into the sport kind of by accident, but, um, I got into this genre of trail running called sky running. So, um, basically you climb like 
minimum of 12,000 to 14,000 feet in about 31 miles. So you're climbing that and you're descending it. So um, it, it just, it's very steep in technical terrain. Um, half probably, you know, it's, it's very generous to call it running at times because you're literally just like scrambling and trying to just like hike as fast as you can while, you know, your, your, your lungs feel like they're bleeding. Um, like, you know, it's, it's a very intense type of, of trail running, but I fell in love with it and I had a knack for it. Um, and I started officially running, um, with, for like, a career and like through sponsorship in 2015, like specifically on the world stage. And I had this goal to be ranked number one in the world. And in 2015, I was, you know, fifth, I was kind of racing all over the world, primarily in Europe at the sky running circuit. Um, and I was, you know, really devoted to this goal. And by 2017, I had actually climbed the rankings and I was ranked number one and I was having the season of my life. And, um, this is when this kind of incredibly defining moment happened. Um, and I was at this race, it was in, no in Norway and, um, it was kind of a victory lap. Um, it's like, it's very similar. The, the Skyrunning series is very similar to, um, <clears throat> like the lifetime Grand Prix, you get a certain number of points for, you know, during different races. And I was leading the series and had so many points that a poor performance wasn't going to like hurt me. So I was like doing this race and, in Norway, it's amazing. You get to run on these fjords. It's like these ridges that just rise from the sea. It's very, it's like granite rocks, very technical. Um, and I was at the high point of this race and um, kind of the most, you know, just unthinkable happened is that the mo one moment I was running and the next I was airborne. I had no chance to even recognize or catch myself that I was falling. It was just, it felt like a, like the ground was just ripped from underneath my feet. And, um, it was really one step that changed the trajectory of my whole entire life. And I ended up falling 150 feet off of a ridgeline at a place where you should not fall. Um, I wasn't falling on, you know, pillows and, you know, grass fields. I was falling on, you know, yeah. rocks and scree fields. And, um, you know, it was this, it was an incredible, it was incredible to survive this type of fall. Um, but it was just intense. I mean, I had ended up breaking 14 bones, had a helicopter lift out of there. Um, yeah, I was lucky to be alive and yeah, it's like, <laughs> In, I still can't believe it happens sometimes. Like it's uh right. I mean, yeah, the story is horrific. It's amazing. It's a miracle. Um, there, in in diving into the research of of you and your story, and and in preparation for this conversation, I've listened to a lot of podcasts. And what you said that the gouges in your leg were large enough that you could basically stick your entire fist into your thigh? Yeah. So, um, it's pretty graphic. Um, like my, on both sides of my legs, like I said, I wasn't falling on, I was falling on like granite, like rocks. And so, um, the guy that had rescued me, I didn't actually find this out till a couple of years later that he was like, I woke up and his face was like really close to mine. And he was trying to hold a gash like shut with his forehead in my, on my head. Mm -hmm. And with his other two arms, he was trying to hold both of my legs shut because he said he could fit his hand sideways inside like both sides of my of my legs because they were just cut so so yeah. deeply and I was like losing a lot of 
blood. So, and I still have those scars. Like it looks, it's, it's my favorite when, I mean, kids are always like, so just like curious and honest. So it's right. like, I, you know, if I'm walking around with shorts on, like these kids are looking at me like, sure. mommy, what happened to her? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Like I've got a story for you. In fact, why don't you go buy my book? Um, exactly. Okay. So then to go, well, I mean, I highly, highly, highly encourage our listeners to, to listen to as many podcasts as you can with Hillary. And that's, her story is absolutely fascinating. That's why I'm thrilled to have you on the on the show today. Um, so I want to talk about a whole bunch of things and not exclusively that. But in order mm-hmm. to go full circle and go back to the hypotheticals, I'm curious, what do you think you'd be doing if you if it weren't for the events that happened in Trump? So this is a hypothetical that always goes through my mind because it's like this. It's this impossible question to answer of like. Well, no, it's actually not that hard to answer. Like some people are, well, this question of like, oh, do you wish it didn't happen? Well, like, of course, like, of course I, I didn't. It's one of the most painful moments of my life, like physically, but emotionally and like the years after that. But um, in many ways, it's like, I'm almost grateful in a way that it happened because it taught me so many things about myself. Um, and And to be clear, it's like, I think, I had these, I had the, this, these different, this grit, this tenacity, this, this kind of stubbornness to keep going and to not follow along, but it's different. Like when you actually like experience, learn these things about yourself in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really don't know what I'd be doing now. I mean, probably the same thing, but I might not be as wise about it. Um, I probably would still have to like learn things the hard way. I'd like to think that I'd still be, you know, still be pursuing this, but um, certainly I'm a different person than before. So it would, there's, there, there'd definitely be different. um, I don't know, things that I would have to learn. I think maybe like burnout, I would probably have experienced in a different way. And um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think when I've had, I try to keep perspective when I have bad accidents, which have never been as graphic and gory as yours. I've certainly broken a lot of bones and had mm-hmm. potentially life-threatening situations. My mm-hmm. only helicopter ride was also a medevac out. Um, and I don't know. I, I feel like in the, in the immediate aftermath, I'm like, well, thank goodness it wasn't worse. And mm-hmm. I'm not trying to shed the sage light to our listener. It's just like maybe... In you surviving that, you have saved yourself from having some other catastrophic. I mean, again, going down this crazy world of hypotheticals, who the heck right. knows? Uh, yeah, right. You've learned a life lifetime of knowledge in in what you've what you've undergone. Um, mm-hmm. You hit on it just for a second. What? And maybe it's impossible to put a tangible metric on it. It probably is. What do you think was more challenging, the physical or the mental obstacles coming in the aftermath? Um, for me, I can, I can put a metric on it and it was for sure the mental part. Um, I think as athletes, it's easy to focus on, you know, and I for sure thought it was going to be, you know, physically hard to deal with. Like, sure it was, I couldn't, I mean, I had, like I said, I had broken 14 bones at this point. I I couldn't use crutches because both of my wrists were broken. So I was on a scooter and both of my feet were broken, but one was like less so than the other. So that was the only one I could kind of like bear weight on when I was like using a knee scooter. Um, you know, I couldn't do 
I couldn't shower, you know, on, you know, by myself, basically I was a fall risk. So someone had to like, make sure I was okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't cook on my own. Um, I couldn't drive. So those are like physical barriers, but like, think of all that, like that mental, you know, burden that that puts on someone. And I mean, you're probably like this too. You're very independent. Like you like to get out and, you know, go on these adventures and like ride your bike. And it's like, it, it feeds to your, your individualism and like what you really enjoy about like getting out, but also it makes you feel strong. It makes you feel capable. It makes you feel accomplished. And all of that was kind of stripped away from me. And I was just left with, I just felt like a shell of myself that I didn't know who I was, that I didn't know. I didn't, I felt helpless and hopeless and like worthless. And those feelings are really tough to grapple with. And it literally happened overnight. And, um, they persisted for a really long time. And I think I, I'm a very optimistic person. I'm a, I'm a realist, but I'm also very optimistic, very happy person. But that was the longest point that I would describe myself as just like depressed. And even though I was still, you know, trying my best every day to like, to get up in the morning, you know, sometimes I just didn't feel like myself. And, um, that has a really big, um, burden. And I think I realized that very early on that if I let that kind of get out of control, that I was just, I was in danger of like losing my identity and like will to live and in certain aspects. Sure. Well, completely understandable. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, you are a person who wears many hats to, to, Mm -hmm. let's see, what do we got here? I jotted these down. We got runner, cyclist, (laughs) scientist, author, coach, uh, once upon a time, a podcaster, when you were leading the, the Strava podcast a couple of years back. Yes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it is easy to generalize or categorize yourself into a particular category runner, mm-hmm. which is certainly mm-hmm. a top of that list in 2017. And an accident mm-hmm. of this magnitude is going to call into question who you are and, and, and how you define yourself. Mm-hmm. I know you went back into teaching straight afterwards within what, a week mm-hmm. or two, which is bananas yeah i needed to stay busy (laughs) okay well yeah that sort of answers the question how did you cope with the process of the self-identity right and and that's honestly one of the reasons why i went back i mean i have always been a person who likes to be you know perpetually busy maybe like that's one of my downfalls right it's like um i want to do so many things that then it's like doing too many things that i'm overwhelmed i don't have time for myself um but then I've been, you know, I've been a scientist longer than I've been a runner. Um, I've, you know, I've been an athlete my whole life, but like always did different sports, but I've, this is a huge part of my identity. And I really want, I didn't want to lose that. And I felt like during this time of like, when I'm, you know, when I, I was a professional for, you know, this is like my second year or my third year with like some sponsors and it had become so quickly. It had just like almost engulfed my whole identity. It was like my whole world. It was just like tunnel vision. And I wasn't happy with that. And so even though I was still like teaching at that time, I kind of upped the ante on the teaching to just try to remind myself that, okay, I'm more than just a runner and I'm more than just an injured runner at this point, or more than just a runner who might never run at the elite level again, right? There's all these fears and things um, swirling around my brain, but teaching and like getting back into science, it like gave me purpose and like 
there's nothing greater than like, I think like a unifying force of like understanding the physical world and sharing that knowledge with other people. And like watching this aha moment when they're taking a chemistry class and they don't want to be there because they yeah. think chemistry is boring. <laughs> and I just blow their mind when I teach them about phase changes and all this stuff. Like it's That's the coolest awesome. thing. <laughs> that is awesome. I love it. Um, <laughs> did you, I recognized through PT and in coming back, you're going from, like you said, can't use your hands on a scooter, hobbling around with broken hands, broken feet. Not hands, whatever. My point being, <laughs> the, 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 the physical therapy process is, on one hand, just to get back to a sense of normal. Mm-hmm. And as a runner at heart and an endurance athlete, you want to get those endorphins back. So you're probably like, okay, I, want, I would love to just be able to get back to the ability to run, the ability to walk, mm-hmm. the ability to, to exercise, the ability to move. Mm-hmm. How much did you consider, did you even have the idea pop in your mind of stepping away entirely? Like either whether it was forced upon you, like you will get to a point of no return and you cannot, you cannot compete mm-hmm. or uh, just a conscious decision of, okay, maybe my, maybe this is dangerous. Maybe my time should be spent elsewhere. Did you consider stepping away? Yeah. Um, I thought about it all the time. I mean, there's this part of you know, the reason how I got into running. Um, it was just something I loved so much. And then I happened to be good at it, especially trail running. And then that kind of led to some sponsorships and competing. But I didn't get into trail running with the hope of like, you know, being this pro athlete. So it, was, it already occupied a part of my just joy and, and love for movement. And of course, I wanted to be back there, but it I wasn't sure that I wanted to even try to put myself out there to even like pin on a bib again and and try to be elite because I didn't want to be, I didn't want to let myself down. I didn't want to let other people down. There's this whole, you know, this word that's thrown around of like this, like comeback of like, there's this pressure to reach this status quo of where you were before. And as an elite athlete, that bar is pretty high. And I was completely afraid to to, to sometimes even try or sure, no, I wasn't even sure I wanted to, but what kept me going was that I wanted, I wanted to return to movement in some way, shape or form, because that just made me feel more complete of a person. And I actually just, I had to work with a sports psychologist to, to figure out if I even wanted to, to return to an elite level of sport or try that hard. Um, I honestly had to let go of that, of that before I could actually even pin on a bib. Um, again, because the expectation was almost crippling and it took the joy out of why I wanted to do it because I felt like I was doing it for other people and not for myself. Sure. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> Great perspective. Um, okay. <laughs> but still hard to like, to do. It's still something I, you know, it's still something I still struggle with now. It's like, I started on the start line. I'm just like, damn, like I'm competing against people. You know, they don't have, they don't have this little, of course they have different things, right? Like people are injured, but like, you know, I have so much hardware in my body. It's like, I have to consider these different things to train, you know, even to get to a start line. And then sometimes it can feel intimidating if these people I'm competing against, like don't even, they didn't have to consider it. Um, yeah. 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 I believe it wholeheartedly uh right yeah. I mean, you, come, you get to the end of a season barring injury you get to the end of the season and you're sort of peak mm-hmm. fitness and then you go into an off season then you live in a cold climate we live in a cold climate mm-hmm. your fitness will go down and that's part of the cycle of fitness and then you start peaking the next year or building your fitness back 
and even barring barring any injury, you worry. And those those ideas go in your head like, am I going to be as fit as I was last year? Let alone <laughs> to have gone through what you went through. So I I frankly can't even imagine. Um, okay, appreciate very much you expanding on all of that. Let's 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 shift gears quite a bit. Um, I'm curious about endurance running in the first place. So pardon my ignorance. Yeah. Um, what are the series? What are the big races? I know UTMB. Um, mm-hmm. I've certainly heard of sky running and I'm familiar with the, the aspect of running up super steep slopes and, and of course down them. I know Western States, I know Leadville. How mm-hmm. does this puzzle fit together? And I think to the benefit of our listeners, many of whom are into cycling and gravel cycling and world tour cycling. So mm-hmm. how does that puzzle go? Yeah. So, you know, it's ever changing because the sport of ultra running and trail running has grown so much. So I would just, I would say there's a lot of different genres. I think trail running starts like usually the entry level is like for the ultra is like the 50 K distance, but you can still do trail running at like, you know, from a marathon distance or below. Right. Um, and so I think the main, like the main big players now are these UTMB, um, series races. This is now like the, the, it's like this year is a new thing. It's like a series final. It just got bought by Ironman. So there's a bunch of different races that are now part of the UTMB, um, um, family, you can kind of think about it like Ironman, right? Like Ironman races, like they're designated sanctioned UTMB races that give you a certain amount of qualifying points to compete in a world trail running final at the end of the year. And at the UTMB races, you have the hundred mile race, you have a hundred K race, a 50 kilometer race and a 26 kilometer race as well. Um, and it's usually both like the best of the best that are there. And so you can, compete in like, this is the, one of the series, like the UTMB style races all along, all around the country. In the U S we have, um, the speed goat 50 K, um, as a qualifier, there's the canyons, 100 mile and hundred K race in California. Um, Western States is another qualifier. Um, in North America, we have another race, um, actually in Colorado, we have one desert rats. It's in Fruta. Why that's going to qualify you for a race in the Alps. I have no idea, but Hey, they're part of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, then there's like a race down in Puerto Verde, Mexico. But then there's all these UTMB races literally speckled all around the globe in Europe, um, you know, South Africa, all these different continents to kind of get people competing in this final. Um, sky running is actually kind of on its way out. Like it used to be really popular. It's still alive and well in, um, in Europe because that's where it's birthplace is. It's like the sea to the sky. You can literally run from these coastal mountain ranges. Um and it's pretty spectacular. It was a series that was alive and well in the U.S. Like we had it at like Run the Rut in Montana. There's Speed Goat used to be a sky running race, um, but you see the change that's happening there. Another big contender is this. It's Golden Trails. This is kind of um, a series that's under the ultra marathon. So I, I would like to equate this with like more of like the cyclocross style of racing for the cyclists out there. Um, it's a very intense, um, fast pace, um, technical, um, like shorter distance trail running. Um, and this is this golden trail series. It's kind of, um, just, it specializes in the shorter distance stuff. Um, but yeah, I think the other, so there's, and there's tons of races, like 
These are, of course, the ones that I'm mentioning are more mountainous and trail. Um, but there's a huge variety of, of um, disciplines as well. Like there's 24-hour records on the track where people literally try to run oh, as far... Exactly, your face is how I feel about it. It's like, <laughs> I don't want to do it, but it's incredible that people are setting, you know, 24-hour records of literally how far they can run in that period of time. Or, um, you know, uh, they do it on treadmills. There's like very flat races that happen, like down in Texas, like Rocky Raccoon, where people run a hundred mile race in, you know, 12 hours. Um, uh, and then, you know, then some of these mountainous races like UTMB, it's like 20 hours to run this. So there's quite a lot of variability in it. Um, but yeah, we, we, I think the, like the main, I think it's like the Super Bowl of trail running is like UTMB and then, um, some really big hundred mile races, which are standalone races are not part of any series. Like in the United States is Western States, Leadville 100, Hard Rock 100 in um, Colorado. Um, yeah. So those are kind of like the more, the more famous ones. Um, I like it. Yeah. I hear yeah. a comparison frequently between gravel and trail running yes. ultras. And I can see where a lot of this, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I talk about cycling being fluid all the time and, and yeah. to your point, these mm-hmm. series are ever, changing how about mm-hmm. as your when you were the number one ranked skyrunner you said mm-hmm. that was the was that the 100k or 50k that was the ultra distance so it was between 100k and 50k mm-hmm. okay and how about as your do you have a do you consider yourself having a specialty distance or is it more of a time or is it more like i'm going to train for the particular event coming up I think all of the above, but I would say a style of running that I would think is like more of my, um, like my specialty is the steeper terrain, um, like the steeper up, steeper downs, like, um, races that have a lot of elevation gain to them. I would say that's like what excites me. So whether it has like a 50 K, um, or, you know, hundred mile races that have a ton of, a ton of elevation gain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like I'm speaking to our listener a lot here, and I'm going to do it again <laughs> right now. Uh, I feel like the concept of running uphill or downhill sounds so simple. I mean, obviously, going up is going to be difficult, as we're yes. familiar with its act of bringing one's mass and one's body up a hill. But man, oh man, <laughs> go, running downhill, especially on technical terrain, is such a skill. And mm-hmm. so the fact that you excel at that, and and I can't I can't reiterate it enough just how how difficult it is and how impressive it is when somebody rips down a hill so oh my god and i would say like my my ability to rip down a hill is like yeah like it became equated to mountain biking like it's like it's like very you know muscle tension like going uphill is like very strength oriented but then like downhill is like it is still like you have to you're working hard but it's very it's a skill that you have to learn and practice and i think um from the 50k races when the sky running that i did like i would definitely be pushing it and trying to like go as fast as I can. But now it's like, I'm doing more longer races that have like 30,000 feet of elevation gain. You can't blow up your quads in the first descent. So you better be able to like, you know, run in a way, which is, you know, skillful and fluid, but like not reckless. So that's been fun to experiment with as well. That's fascinating. Um, (laughs) Okay, I'm. I'm. We're gonna begin more bouncing around. I'm always interested in a person's <laughs> upbringing. So, yeah. What? Where? When? What is your childhood like? What's What's going on in the youth of Hillary? 
Yeah. So, um, I grew up in a family of scientists. So my dad is a, he's a PhD, um, food science, human nutrition is like biochemistry. Um, yeah. And then my mom's a parasitologist, so like microbiologist. So when I started trail running, she gave me a life straw to like filter out Giardia from the creeks. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But anyways, like, so growing up with scientists, like our dinner conversations were always really interesting. Um, I like to say I grew up in the dirt. We had like both my parents were university professors. So um, at CSU in Fort Collins, Colorado. And so every summer we'd have some time off and we'd always travel in our little camper, um, like our pop-up trailer as a family. I have an older sister. Um, And so, yeah, we'd always just do that. And I... I was, I was camping before I could walk. Like I, I remember like pictures, my mom showed me of me and like a baby Bjorn, like on the front of her, like when we were hiking and I think my first steps were literally on a, like a trail. Um, I was always such a curious kid. Like I didn't, I was such a tomboy. I didn't want to play with, I didn't want to play with dolls. If I did, like they were going to play outside in the dirt with me. <laughs> I always wanted to be a entomologist. So I like literally from, as like as soon as I was walking until I was in like junior high, I was like like you know carrying around a bug net. Obviously, I was a really cool kid. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> um, but like all of that stuff, I was just very curious. Just very athletic, um, but always just really curious about the physical world and science in general. Um, my dad is from the UK, and so we always had appreciation for like travel. And um, he he was a big runner, and so we were always just like a very active family. Um, but I think the main thing for me is just like curiosity. Like my parents really encouraged me to be curious, to ask questions, to um, you know pursue the why and like find out how things would work. And um, they're also very strict and they also demanded a lot of me. And um, it was the understanding that, you know, when I was in high school or, you know, certainly before that, like I could play sports, but those were only allowed if I was getting good grades. And so, um, you know, I was like a straight A student and, you know, I took it to another level of, I was like, you know, super perfectionist, but, you know, in all the AP classes, I was like valedictorian in high school and, you know, played um, tennis and ran cross country. Um, and yeah, that kind of, I mean, that theme is like continued on until now my adult life of like me not wanting to choose. I want to just do everything. <laughs> sure. Um, how about, uh, yes, you are, you are the daughter of two scientists. You have an interest in entomology and the outdoors and so on and so forth. What, what does your academic pursuit look like? Like, did you mm-hmm. go straight into college? Did you go straight into post back? study afterwards. Um, yeah. What does the academic career look like? Yeah. So that was actually, that's what I wanted to do. Like when I was in like kindergarten for career day, I literally told the class I was going to get a PhD in entomology. And I like brought my bug collection with me, like as a, (laughs) like a five-year-old, like, Oh my God. And, um, um, I wanted like, cause my dad's, you know, a PhD scientist and like, I aspired to that. And, um, so it was never the question of like, you know, like what I was going to do after college. It was like, okay, what graduate program was I going to apply to? So after, after undergrad where I majored in or, um, organic chemistry was like the specialty. So chemistry with a, like emphasis in organic chem. Um, I took a year off, like working at a chemical laboratory outside of, um, 
uh, Fort Collins. And then I applied to uh, a neuroscience program, a PhD program at CU Boulder. And I chose neuroscience for various reasons, but it felt like the perfect marriage of like chemistry and then like a really cool application um, into like human, like the human experience. Um, and like neuroscience is an incredibly interesting um, uh you know, topic. And I was super, I mean, I was a tennis player. And so there's a huge like mental component to, to sports there. So I think like the psychology aspect interested me too. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I basically just like, you know, 17 years of school or whatever, like, you know, I was just like really into it, but it was somewhere along in graduate school where I I know that I didn't really want to do that. I didn't really want to do that as a career. Um, and it's it coincided with like when I, that's like literally when I started trail running and found out I had a knack for it and was getting like offered sponsorships and like I really wanted to travel and I felt like I had devoted so much time to school in this like one track that I wasn't sure if I wanted to pursue that anymore because it felt like I was just like trapped inside this box and um yeah actually my dad encouraged me to kind of like pursue uh to, to kind of take a chance and like pursue something and like, well, if I, if I'm not good at it or I can't like make ends meet as a, as a professional runner, then I can always come back to science. (laughs) Which is, I mean, that's outstanding, right? Like we think of, I think that the typical story we think of in professional American professional sports is, you know, giving up your college days so that a high schooler can go Mm -hmm. straight to the NBA. Um, and then, you know, we're, we're always worried about, well, did you get your education? Because there's no, there's no guarantees in professional sports. Yeah. Um, I guess in sort of a similar way, I got into cycling during college. So that merge of Mm -hmm. academia and athletics worked out really favorably for me. And who knows what would have happened if I got into cycling previously. So yeah, it's, it is not the worst thing in the world to have uh, a couple of degrees to fall back on and, and in a very applicable, I'd prefer it. Yeah. That's outstanding. (laughs) So yeah, you just hit on it there too. Your trajectory into running seems to my uneducated eye and ear very uh, meteoric. And I think I think the story is you went from doing your first 50 miler where you set a course record to the number one ranked skyrunner in the world in like a three-year period. Yeah. So <laughs> to to anyone paying attention, you obviously do things by dotting your I's and crossing your T's and, and going at it full bore, what does that three-year period look like in terms of the the, the rise of your, your meteoric running career? <laughs> right. I mean, and it was very fast, right? It was something, and this is, this is definitely me in a nutshell. It's like the, something that I loved about running is that you could see progress like directly, like when it happened, you could see yourself getting faster. And it was, it was just like, it was this like, you know, feed forward, you know, it's like this positive reinforcement where the more you run, the better you get. Right. But then what I didn't, so of course I was doing that. I got a coach, I got, um, you know, sponsorship within that first year. Um, so that first 50 mile race I did instead of course record, I was ranked number, I won the U S sky running series that first year. And then that kind of propelled me onto the European circuit and I got new sponsors. And so, um, pretty quickly, you know, my life went from, you know, having running as a hobby to it, like having all sorts of pressure associated with it. Like 
um, traveling for the sole purpose of, you know, racing and, and trying to win and like, you know, getting money for paying my rent and like, you know, trying to make ends meet from like this athlete life. And so I think, um, before that, before my accident, actually, I think I was actually experiencing a little bit of burnout of like, I wasn't really feeling that satisfied because I've never been someone who's been satisfied just doing one thing. I need to feed other aspects of myself. And like, that was actually the beauty of it in graduate school is that like running would actually let my brain breathe almost. And like, I'd be more creative in the lab. And then once I got to take a break from lab, I look forward to running and like vice versa. I've, I don't, and, and, and this is like kind of a learning curve is like, I don't think that being a full-time athlete, yes, it takes a lot of time. Um, but I don't think like just doing that full-time is actually the best way to go for me. But I also think for a lot more people than they're willing to admit. Um, and so that was something that I, you know, had, because it quickly just became my whole life and then my whole identity. And that was the first time in my life that one thing had ever defined me. And, um, or I was letting it define one thing define me. And so, um, to be honest, I, um, that like exponential rise, I think it was, I wasn't the most balanced or like healthy, um, from like a mental point of view. Um, I was certainly happy. I felt like I was like, you know, Disney music, like the whole new world, like, like Aladdin, I don't know, theme song is like a whole new world. I was like discovering like, you know, all these places and like, you know, like all these amazing places to go. Seriously, like the Alps, the like, you know, the Dolomites running in Norway, like Spain and the, like in the freaking Pyrenees, like it was so awesome. Uh But then I think at that period, I just also felt like something else was missing. Hmm. Um, Yeah. And with what did you fill it? Or was it, let me, let me pause that question. It's almost as though with this meteoric rise, you saw how quickly it could come. And even prior to the accident, maybe you were able to recognize, okay, how quickly it could be fleeting Mm -hmm. and then to have to go through the accident. Um, Mm -hmm. So then back to the original question, how did you fill it or did, was it filled with the accident and the subsequent recovery? Yeah. So I think I was learning in real time, um, like how to fill it. I think at that point I, I started like working at a small college, like during the, like, um, during the year when I was back in, in Colorado, um, and not racing like in the summer. So I started to fill it with other things, but I think the, um, the real like turning point was definitely, definitely the accident. And like, that was just a complete 180 where yes, it taught me like as quickly as you can rise, I can like go away in an instant. And I better know who I am if I don't have this like running to, to like fill that, that space or to fall back on. Um, and then it was like, it's almost really beautiful to be able to figure out all of these other aspects of, you know, that make you a complete person, let alone like an athlete. Right. And it's, it's just, it's community, right. It's like actually leaning into people that you can really count on. And, um, I think as an athlete, you might, I was forgetting that because I was living on the road and I was so becoming so insular and, um, you know, just living, it was very selfish. It felt like, um, really, I mean, I, I got a new coach, um, kind of dealing, it was a longtime friend of mine and, um, 
he, he's like a pillar of my community, like really being able to like lean on and, um, you know, rely on him. Um, you know, actually like putting down roots in Boulder, it was always a place where I felt like I can, I like, I don't know, had like a suitcase. So I could kind of like come here and then leave again. I was like, as soon as I was here, it was, it was kind of home. But then as soon as I was here, I was like, you know, counting the days when I could leave again. And now that's very opposite. And then, you know, feeding those other parts of me, especially like the scientist part of me. Um, and yeah, then the other creative aspects, that's kind of when I wrote this book because it's a very creative endeavor, um, to do something like that. And even now that I'm not, you know, I want to write a second book, but uh, I mean, like journaling and, and writing is something I do on a daily basis, like trying to have like more purposeful creative outlets instead of just like consuming things. Yeah, I'm so impressed that you've written a book. Um, <laughs> I think it's awesome. <laughs> it's like, I mean, you have it, anyone who has an interesting story to tell and a desire to do so, like it's it's amazing to have done it, right? And, and yeah. so... I guess my question being, what was, what was the process in writing the book? Right? Like, is it, yeah. does it begin with journaling? Does it begin with doodling? Did you have a ghostwriter? How, so, how did you even do that? Yeah. You know, it was, a it was for me, it did, it started with journaling because, um, I did not have a ghostwriter. So maybe, you know, that's a mistake. Cause then, you know, it's not like super pristine and polished. Like it is my words, but those were, that was really important for me to do it myself. Um, and know that it wasn't going to be like, you know, professional writer. It was just going to be me, but I wanted that cathartic experience because writing is something that I've always done as a way to like slow down my thoughts and like put them on paper. If like something's bothering me and I don't have the courage to like, you know, vent to my friends that they're being an asshole. <laughs> like I can just write it in my journal and like call them all the names I want and be like, Oh cool. I feel better. Yeah. Well um, played. Yeah. Um, but, and then I can still have friends just kidding. Um, but the, uh, so I think that's where it took, um, for me, it took that, like I had these, I was going through so much emotionally through the accident and the recovery. I actually had started a blog of kind of like, like just being honest with this process. Cause I had no one to look up to like most athletes when they're injured, they don't document it. They just disappear because it's almost like a taboo. You're afraid you're going to lose sponsorships. Um, you're depressed. And then, you know, they reappear when they're ready to crush it again. And that's fine. But I didn't feel like that was that honest, especially for me. So I wanted to be more honest with that process. And then, and writing the blogs and um, just my own writing, I felt like there's a community shared in that, like who could relate whether they were struggling with injuries themselves or not. And um, that's where it kind of took a bigger, like, form and a, an idea. And I pitched it to a publishing company. And then um, that was really hard. So I was like, I don't even know where to start. Like, how do I even arrange this? Like in a, like in a story and like, do I arrange it in chronological order? Like, what do I want the message to be? And so what I did is I just like, I would literally take my phone on runs. I was like training for some, from races at this point. And I would take my phone on a run and I would like get these ideas, like as you do, you know, you probably get tons of ideas when you're on a bike ride. And sometimes you think that they're the most incredible idea ever. And I would like, like record a voice memo for like an idea of a story or a theme. And 
sometimes I get back and like listen to them after the run. I was like, this is complete crap. Like I can't <laughs> do anything with this. such a good idea an hour ago. Yeah. yeah. And this is no, this is not good. And then, then others would be like, oh, this is great. And they would provide like, you know, points where I could start to write. And then I would submit those pages to the publisher. And then like, then I'd begin to like kind of arrange it. And um, it made more sense as I, um, I just had to literally just start. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I imagine the first page is the hardest. It's like, to break mm-hmm. status quo and beginning to do it. And once momentum mm-hmm. gets going. Yeah. Well, uh, what the book is mm-hmm. called out and back. I, mm-hmm. I, uh, it's funny when you do when you're hosting an interview and the, the interviewer has not read the book. Cause I can't be like, but my, I know I'm going to buy it and read it. And I look forward to doing that. And so, Oh, thank you. Thank the you. End I there. hope you do. And I do have an audiobook if that's more your jam. So you can like multitask and listen. I actually recorded it. So that was kind of That's cool. right. Yeah. It's your voice. You get to read your story to, yeah. to the yeah. listener. Um, how, let's see, let's see, let's see. You, you now mix in cycling. Cycling is, is part mm-hmm. of your life as well. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if that has anything to do with running as an overuse injury, being prone to mm-hmm. overuse injuries. How did you get into cycling? Right. So I think many runners, and this is definitely my, um, intro into cycling. I was like, oh man, this is a consolation prize. Like, I just want to be running like, ugh, I'm like, you know, the injured runner on the freaking bike. And I like, didn't like it. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't feel that way anymore. Um, <laughs> so I actually got into cycling, um, because after this accident, like 18 months later, I slipped on ice while running oh, no. and I broke my ankle. <laughs> Ouch. Uh-huh. And literally almost like a year ago today. It's, it's kind of insane. Um, and um yeah, so I had to go through the whole recovery process again. I didn't know if I could do it. And even though it was only one bone this time, I felt like I hit this new low. But the gym that I go to, the and the physical therapist that I go to, um, Revo Sports and Performance here in Boulder, they're actually who helped Taylor Finney in his incredible recovery when he, when the doctors were telling him to like amputate his leg. Um, so these, like Matt Smith was my PT, and um, of course they're big cyclists, and they're like, he'll like get on a bike, like you, like sure you can't bear weight through your ankle right now, but you can still spin. And so I literally, my introduction to cycling, I wasn't really a kid that grew up cycling. I did a little bit, like I commuted to grad school on a bike, on bike paths, but like, I didn't really do it. And so I started riding on a trainer and I don't, you've probably experienced this through, through injury, but like you, when you're not able to do something for long extended periods of time, like I was craving the, the ability to sweat And the trainer gave me that. And this is so crazy. Like I literally just started doing that and then I could get stronger. I eventually like worked my way up to doing a clip in pedal. And like, I never used like these, what do they call it? Clipless pedals. You clip it in. There is a reason. There is a reason. I'm not going to go into it because I don't know what it is. I think (laughs) clips are the pre clips are what they used to call the toe strap. Yes. Know. Okay. Okay. So clipless got it. It does okay. make sense somewhere. Okay. Well, so I'm in clipless pedals, clipping in whatever, and um, in the gym, and um, I have this grand idea because one of my sponsors at the time, Scratch Labs, had a free entry into Unbound, and I, um, so at this point, I already caught the cycling bug, and I was like, I, I was cycling before I could even like run at this point again, and so, um. 
um, Alan Lim had called me up and he's like, yo, what distance do you want to do? And I'm like, well, isn't the like, isn't the distance to do the 200 miler? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, that's what I want to do. <laughs> and um, this was April at this point. I had not ridden my bike outside or ever on gravel. And the race was in June. And that was my first gravel bike race ever. I think the second time I'd ever ridden in a group of more than 10 people. And um, I literally like, and I haven't gone back. Like I like love cycling now. And it's not just because like, yes, runners, I think in trail runners, they can be injury prone, but like, I love it because it's, it's just so much fun, like to learn a different skill, especially like the gravel at, at Unbound is like no joke in Ferocious. some sections. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, I remember my mantra during that race was just like, keep it loose, but not too loose. Cause I was like <laughs> gripping the handlebars and like, I couldn't like eat because I was too afraid to take my hands off the handlebars. Um, now I've become a little bit better at, at, at cycling, but, um, but yeah, it's just something that's really cool to see the progression again, like running is like development of skills and like being more comfortable and like learning a new sport as an adult. But for me, it's like, I, it's literally like something I incorporate into my training. Like now, now, and this is like my first unbound was in 2019. Um, I'm in it again this year. Um, but it'll, this will be like my fourth one. <laughs> um, oh, but yeah, you're almost now this is something. Well, I was going to say one thing yeah. at a time, but you're almost at the thousand mile club. I mean, just keep. I know so I, well, I need to get there. So I have to, I, that's, that's the goal. Yeah. So, um, but like my coach, like, you know, if we're prescribing the long training day, um, he'll, it sounds crazy, but like, there's this thing in Boulder where you ride your bike to Long's peak, do the peak and then ride it back. And like, literally different combinations of like riding my bike plus running like for like long training days. I do it just because I love it and it's so much fun and I like the multi-sport aspect of it. And I think it's actually pretty good um, for an endurance athlete and endurance runner who's running, you know, like these races that maybe take a day. (laughs) So like extra training that's like not as hard on the body is, is, uh, Turns out it's kind of fun. <laughs> I love it. I am uh, over the past, I don't know, two months, I've incorporated running into my program. Um, yeah, what I do feel you think? Like, I feel like the typical cyclist will run probably the first week of their off season, call it late October, early November. They will run five miles and then the next day they can't walk and then they wait two weeks and then they're back on a bike. And they're like, well, that was a good off season. <laughs> and I've I've actually done the the iteration and cadence into the into running so that I'm not crippled uh, the next day with his injury, which is fantastic. And my I'm running basically once a week which is not frequent enough to get injured, which is great. And it's enough to keep me happy and healthy and probably good for my bones. This is a very long-winded way of saying there's a big part of me that really wants to do the Mid-South double, which I should tell you you need to do, which is in one month's time, a little bit more. Uh, It's a 50K. I'm going to do it. It's a 50K run. And it's not a, I mean, it's on dirt roads and then a 100-mile race the next day. You want to do it? I'm in. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Sick. Let's go. You're going to do it with me? I'm I'm so hesitant to commit because 
I'm kind of terrified. Like I will never, I don't know. I've only done a turkey trot. I've never done a real run. And then the people, I don't know. Like the competitive okay. side of me wants to actually do well, but I'm still, I'm right. not a runner. Well, see, this this race actually scares me too because it's flat. I think it has 2,000 feet of elevation gain in a 50K. Like yeah. I'm used to like, I even ten times that much. Right, right. Well, if it's any, if it's any, so it's scary to me too. And the mud, whatever. Yeah, I'll just bring a paint stick the, for it my snowed bike. last year. If it's any qualifier, I was talking to Bobby Wintle, who runs the event yesterday, mm-hmm. and he said he considered doing the run. He's like, but the hills are so ferocious. Okay, ferocious is all relative. It's not something that's right. going to scare you. But I think, I mean, yeah, I, I can. There, I can agree that there are some serious hills there. Not mm-hmm. the Rockies. Well, We're talking about Oklahoma, but right. But it's like the Flint Hills in Kansas. Like I was, I mean, they're steep. Yes. Like there's like so it's probably just like that in Oklahoma. Exactly. Like those yeah. rollers. Yeah. Bingo. You're not going up a five k climb. You're going up a fifty foot steep thing. Anyway, sweet. Yeah. All right. See you in a month. How great is that? <laughs> um. Okay. Great. We. In the insular world in which I live, which is cycling, we like to talk about mm-hmm. the spirit of gravel and with it, the rich mm. community. Mm-hmm. What are the similarities? What are the differences between a cycling community and the running community in your experience? Yeah, honestly, like you said a, f- a few minutes ago that um, the gravel world, gravel cycling and trail running is quite similar. I mean, I think because A, it's like this mass starts. So you start on the start line with the elites and like everyone. And it's just, it just feels like a very accepting, welcoming community. Like people are out there because they like to get dirty and like, you know, like have like a good time and like type two fun <laughs> at times. Um, but yeah, so I think that um, the similarity of like, you know, ending a run or a ride at a brewery. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very popular. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I really like that, but I think it's just the overall vibe. Like it just seems like everyone I've met at Unbound and like even on trail runs, like you just, you, you meet really quality people and like friends for life. I think it's like that idea. If you're doing something hard, it's a unifying experience. Um, and it's kind of a leveling for like, you know, for differences and, you know, background, political beliefs, like anything, like it's just a unifying factor. And I think, um, that's like the the really big the really big takeaway. Also, you know, in like group runs, like the ability to like work hard and like you know going on a group ride where you want to like rip each other's legs off, like yeah, that happens in trail running as well. <laughs> Understandable. But, yeah. Um, like enjoying working hard. Yeah. <laughs> how about okay? At the risk of sounding sort of sappy and sentimental, I'm curious about the the feelings that you experience in each sport. Like, yeah. As a cyclist or a runner, what are the emotions? What are the the sensations? What how, how do you how do you feel experiencing each sport? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty similar. You know, this ability like going to the well and um, like finding out what you're made of, or like I think a similar experience is like questioning why you're doing this because it can be so like you don't you want it to end and it's going to not going to end for a long time. <laughs> um, but usually at that point, the similarities in both of those is you have a snack and then you feel renewed for 30 minutes and then it happens all over again. Um, but uh, I think the main, the main difference, I mean, and granted I'm more like I'm competitive in running. Like I, I, I want to keep cycling for fun just because like 
um, there's a lot of skill there that I'm learning, um, like with drafting and like descending and on the cornering and all this, this stuff that like feels a little bit risky to me right now with, uh, and so I want to save my like competitive juices for an energy for, uh, for running. So that feels a little bit different. Cause I feel like I'm definitely a lot more focused with like competitive goals in running. Um, but I will tell you that 10 hours on a bike versus 10 hours running it feels like a leg massage when you're on a bike versus running. <laughs> so there's maybe a little bit more like pain, um, but it's just getting acquainted with like the different feelings. And that's something I really appreciate the ability to kind of go back and forth between running and riding because it's different sensations in the body. And um, you still get the same like endurance and like mental kind of you're like exploring the depths of yourself mentally in each sport. Um, but the physical sensations can be a little bit different. Yes. Even the most graceful runner is going to say that there's a pounding effect that mm-hmm. is less so on the bike. And yeah, you know, what's funny is I have this watch that tells me what to do every day. And I just, I certainly don't follow it, but it's like today is an endurance day. Either do a 45 minute run or a three hour bike ride. <laughs> like what a funny. I know. And that seems a bit I don't know. I guess it's, yeah. It's, it's Maybe, yeah. yeah. I think I think my watch recognizes that I don't do long runs. I finally broke the habit of running sub one hour, and I was like, all right, I need to run for two hours. I need to run for two hours. And I actually did that. Nice. It was great. You can do, you can do mid-south. Come on. If you're doing two, a two-hour run, you got it. Well, yeah. I, I did my not-quite-two-hour run um, coming off the longest period that I went without running so i broke oh, my no. one week window and so then i was like oh goodness and i've basically been hobbling around this week <laughs> yeah it, it'll make you sore for sure yeah. but it, i don't know yeah i'm i'm impressed with how much i enjoy running yeah it is it's like it's the same stuff too i mean i think it's the same like the runner's high or whatever i think cyclists experience that as well it's like that same release um but maybe it just takes a little bit less time running mm-hmm. than on a bike <laughs> oh, it's certainly more efficient and you, yes yeah packing a pair of running shoes is different than mm-hmm. packing a bike and oh, running yeah. in negative eight is downright pleasant and going for a bike ride wind chill at eight, negative eight is enough to make you not not want to do, do that <laughs> okay zeroing in on the end are you good with time for just a few more minutes yeah all right so i'm curious how you look at the process of preparation versus an event itself. So it's sort of like a question of means. Are you are you into the means or are you in, into the end? Um, and by that, I mean, I heard you talk in a podcast about achievement versus attainment, mm-hmm. where you say you it's really tough to actually live in the moment because once you cross a start line, once you cross a finish line, once you achieve a result, once you have an injury, it's over. And then it's like, okay, now we move forward. There is no mm-hmm. moment. The moment is in the past. Mm-hmm. So that can seem like a little bit like, well, then what's the point? <laughs> but the point, the point that I get from all of that is because absolutely, like this is something that I've struggled with because, you know, as athletes, you like work to achieve all of these things, but like there really is no attaining of any of it. And the only way to even enjoy, um, you know, that you achieve that goal is to, I think, enjoy the process, to enjoy like all of the little moments, like leading up to even getting on the start line. And that's actually, that's what's like got me, I think, back into running and competing because I absolutely love that process. Like I love 
waking up every day with like, you know, you say like, okay, three hour, like three hour ride or 45 minute run. Like, you know, I've got like this like killer workout to do today. It's like, well, this is a chance to try my best. And if I fail, like, okay, it's going to make me stronger. I'm going to learn something from it. And then I still have an opportunity to try tomorrow. It's like, almost like building, building a house that you don't know what it's going to look like until you literally like, you know, cross the finish line. Um, but it's like, it represents all of the days of work that you've like put in. And I think that that's beautiful. And I think, um, that that is so worthwhile and it kind of, for me, that's like my why, um, the why behind like trying so hard because it's like, it's so worth it because it's like this beautiful process of becoming the best version of yourself. At least that's how I think about it. I love it. It's, I mean, yeah, it's prophetic. Um, (laughs) and, I don't know. I mean, I think that that brings in your your draw to to neurology, right? Like we're not robots. Mm-hmm. We can mm-hmm. we know that we can get better with various intervals and this, that, and the other. But then there's still so many non tangibles, intangibles mm-hmm. that that are part of this process and part of the making up of humans and fitness mm-hmm. and motivation and inspiration and and all of it. So yeah, that's rad. Um, Okay, let's let's <laughs> nearly wrap up there. We're going to wrap up with our traditional final three questions. Actually, no. I was going to say we'll curb them to running, but I want to know, because you also wear the cycling hat, I'm going to ask them in the cycling sense. What is your favorite place to ride your bike? What is the number one place that you would like to ride your bike that you've never ridden? Mm-hmm. And with whom, living or otherwise, fictitious or real? With whom would you like to go for a bike ride? Okay, favorite place to ride my bike. Alta Badia in Italy. That was so insane. Great answer. Um, Italy is phenomenal. I want to go back again. So steep gravel roads. It's insane. Um, What was the second question? Uh, Where would you like to ride that you've never ridden? Where? Oh, my gosh everywhere that I haven't <laughs> been yet. Um, there is a million places I want to like go in the United States. Like for instance, where you just went, I want to do the coastal ride in Hawaii. Like that looked oh, that insane. So cool. Um, I'd like to go to Tenerife. Um, that's like a Canary Island, um, to New Zealand, um, Japan, Norway. <laughs> do you have one? Anywhere. Like, is, is, do you have a bike trip this year that, that you to a place you've never been? Yes, I'm actually going to go to um, Girona at the end of February. I've run there a lot, but I've never ridden my bike there. So I'm really excited. Are you going to be back in time um, for Mid-South? Yes. Okay, phew. That's my training camp for Mid-South. Don't you worry. Perfect. And you're going to blow um, the doors off me. What? <laughs> I, I need to get a, need a race entry for, for Mid-South. I don't have one yet. Um, but uh, let's see. Um yeah, where else am I going? I don't know. I'm planning to pack. Like now when I race in Europe, I pack my bike with me. So I'm going to get to ride in the Dolomites. I've done that before. It's like amazing. But who I want to ride my bike with, um, Richard Feynman or Albert Einstein. They're both dead, but they're scientists and they would be amazing. Great answers. We don't get a lot of <laughs> um, uh, deceased individuals as answers. And those are two <laughs> great ones. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I'm a big science nerd. And the best thing to do is like have conversations on a long ride on a bike. So <laughs> big time. Couldn't agree more. Um, well, 
Terrific. I am very grateful for your time. I appreciate the insight. Um, where where can folks find you? I want to say, what, HillaryAllen.com? Yeah, that is my website. Good job. Perfect. <laughs> but no, thank you so much for for having me on. It's been such a pleasure. And um, yeah, HillaryAllen.com is like where like you can find my book. I have a newsletter, a blog, all the little social things there. All the yeah. things. I love it. Well, <laughs> yeah. keep staying busy. Uh, keep... I would say keep training, but yep, keep training because you're going <laughs> to smoke me in a month. And I look forward to seeing you in Oklahoma and talk to you later. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you for listening, my friends. Again, I encourage you to check out Hillary's book, Out and Back. I also encourage you to share this podcast. A review of any kind is appreciated. The five-star variety is, is preferable. As I record this outro, I literally just finished up my morning serving of AG1 by Athletic Greens. Do yourself a favor and visit athleticgreens.com slash tedking. Simple as that. And lastly, thank you to John Summerford for editing this and each of the previous 102 podcasts. You are a legend, John. Thank you very much. That's it. That's all. Until next time, folks, please enjoy the ride.